grab your coffee and settle into your seat because we have some great stuff to talk about today. Really excited to have you back with us here on the Such Things Podcast, looking today at King Saul and comparing him to King David. We'll be spending some time together today in 1 Samuel chapters 15 and 16. But first, we need to kind of do like a like a super summary of the earlier chapters in 1 Samuel to give some context. Prior to King Saul and then King David coming on the scene, what's going on in the book of Samuel is, is essentially the rise of Samuel, the prophet. Uh, he is the prophet who bridged the gap between the time of the judges and the time of the kings. In chapter 1, uh, we were introduced to his mother, Samuel's mother, Hannah. Man, it was so good having my sister with me on the podcast last week, my special guest, our first guest. Um, my sister, of course, an author and just a great woman of God. And we talked about Hannah, Samuel's mother. Go back and listen. If you missed that one, you missed a good one. But in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we see the um, the wicked sons of Eli, the priest. It's a dark time in God's kingdom when the priest and his family, or the priest's family, are have become wicked. In chapter three, Samuel the boy is growing, and and the word of the Lord comes to Samuel and begins to come through Samuel to God's people. Well, in in chapters four through six. The Philistines were introduced to the Philistines, and um, they they capture God's Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, which would embody the, the presence of God among his people. And they capture it in battle. But then through this crazy series of events, um, they're like, we got to get rid of the Ark. Like it was like bringing curses upon them. And so they return the Ark, but in the process— when the ark was captured, um, we find out about the death of Eli, the priest. Um, he was so heartbroken that the ark had been ark of God had been captured uh, on his watch that his heart gave out and he died. In First Samuel chapter seven, God brings victory and deliverance through Samuel's leadership. Now Samuel is. Is, is really come into his own here as, as the prophet over the land. And, and they defeat the Philistines, a mighty victory. The ark of God is, is back where it belongs with God's people. But then in chapter 8, God's people ask Samuel, the prophet, for a king. Essentially rejecting God as their king saying, hey, we want uh, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king to rule over us. And Samuel says, let me warn you what kings do. They tax you. They force your sons into the army. They do all the things that political leaders still do. You know, just they, they, they take power and they said, we don't care. We want to be like everybody else. We want a king to lead us in our battles. And God tells Samuel, we'll give him a king. It's not, they've, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me, God says. So in chapters 9 and 10, Saul, King Saul, comes 
on the scene, comes to the throne. Saul was the king that they thought they wanted. It says, just reading a few verses here, 1 Samuel 9, verse 2, it says, There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of some other guys who I won't try to say. Kish had a son named Saul. As handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Okay, so he 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 really looks like king material. He's he's got the presidential look. You know, he's the guy. So they they they're gonna have this ceremony to to bring him onto the to the throne. Interestingly, in chapter 10, when they're you know, trying to like anoint him king. It says down here in verse 22, it says, you know, they couldn't find Saul, the young man Saul to anoint him king. They were looking for him for the ceremony. And so they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies or among the luggage. (laughs) So Saul, Saul is hiding among the baggage. So they ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than anyone, any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. Saul was the king they thought they wanted. Well, we go on to chapter 11 of 1 Samuel and Saul, now King Saul, has a, a pretty promising start. He 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 secures a, a great victory right off the bat for God's people, and and uh, he he demonstrates mercy uh, as well as um, victory in battle. And it's like, wow, this guy he's off to a pretty good start. Well, so in in chapter twelve of First Samuel, we 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 see that the prophet Samuel is now getting along in years and. He's sort of uh, preparing for retirement. He delivers a, a retirement farewell speech. I think he thinks, okay, well, you guys got a king. I'm out. Peace. Like, I'm done. Like, you chose him. So I'm getting old. Y'all have fun. All right. Well, then he, he has to kind of get called back out of retirement because in chapter 13, wouldn't you know it, the prophet Samuel, the old cowboy, has to strap on his guns one more time ride back into town and rebuke King Saul. Saul's heart begins to be revealed. We begin to see some early cracks in his armor that we see that this man who was a head taller than the rest turns out to be fearful and disobedient to God. The character weaknesses that will eventually open him up to his later downward spiral into sin and and, and even into madness. They, They were there even early on in his reign. I would say maybe they were there when he was hiding among the baggage. I don't know. I don't want to be too hard on the guy. There's a lot of men in the Bible that that hid when God called them. But anyway... Moving on, chapter 14, we were introduced to Saul's son, the prince, Jonathan. The prince the people needed. 
See, Saul and the people are, are afraid in chapter 14. The Philistines are on the march again. And, and we see that, that Jonathan steps up to the plate. The, print, the young prince, the crown prince, steps up to the plate and helps actually bring about a great victory. There's an odd exchange there. Saul is a bit unwise, and, and there, there's a crazy story that happens. But then we come to chapter 15. And in chapter 15, and we'll, we'll, we're going to read a bit of this, but in chapter 15, we'll see in a moment that King Saul sins and the Lord rejects him as king. God rejects him. But I, I want to read a key, before we dig in a little deeper and we, we, we take a closer look at Saul and then compare him to young, young David I want to read a few lines from chapter 13. <clears throat> the first time that Saul really kind of messed up. And, and <clears throat> Samuel said this. Let me have a sip of my coffee. The prophet Samuel says this in, in verse 11 of chapter 13. Samuel says, what have you done? Saul replied, well, and, and he's going to make excuses. He says, well, when I saw that the men were scattering, the army was scattering, and that you didn't come at the set time, Saul was supposed to come and help, I think, make a sacrifice or something. And he says, so, and then I saw the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. I thought, well, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Well, that was a no-no. He was supposed to wait for Samuel to make the offering. So Samuel says in verse 13 of chapter 13, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. He says, God's rejected you. He's looking for someone. God is looking for someone with a heart, a heart like his. Today, we're going to compare and contrast King Saul and King David's hearts. What was it about <clears throat> David's heart and Saul's heart? Both men sinned. In fact, I, I suggested to you by, by the time we finish this series, I think you may agree with me that, that David may have sinned a lot more than, than Saul. Both men sinned. But why did only one man, one king, fail? I submit to you that it was heart disease. Saul had heart disease that led ultimately over time to total heart failure. David had his share of sin. We're going to see that as we go in this series, but, but David had a strong heart for God that never gave out. It kept beating for God 
all through his life, even though there was one time, at least, where his heart kind of had to be resuscitated, like it was on, it was, it was it basically stopped beating, and the prophet Nathan had to poof, bring it back. But, but David maintained his heart for God through it all. Let me show you. First Samuel chapter 15. Let's, let's break this down. Let's look at King Saul in verse 1 of chapter 15. It says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you to be king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. So now go, attack the Amalekites. Totally destroy all that belongs to them. Don't spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. We're going to pause there and we're going to see what Saul does with that information. I'm kind of wondering what some of you are doing with that information. That's quite a command. For some of us, these are the passages that make us have a really hard time with the Old Testament. And I'm not going to try to fully explain it uh, now, but man, let me just say, this was a different time. It was a violent time. And uh, you, it may be helpful for you to go back and read about what the Amalekites did to God's people generations earlier. They had come up and attacked God's people from behind and hit them where they were weak um, on their way to the promised land. And so, God felt the need to uh, punish them uh, sometime later here. So he sends Saul on a mission to do that. Let's see what Saul does with uh, this mission that he's been given as, as king. Verse 7 of 1 Samuel 15. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, Near the eastern border of Egypt, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. And that's not what God said to do. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. Uh-oh. He's making monuments in his own honor now and disobeying God. Oh boy. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, "Uh, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What's this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, oh, the soldiers brought them from the Malachites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Okay. Put throwing your soldiers under the bus. I thought you were their king. Enough. Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Oh, tell me, Samuel replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, Saul, 
Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. This sounds like a talk with uh, one of my teenage children. But I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers, you know, my siblings, they took the sheep. It was them. They, The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder and the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. Arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command. And your instructions, I was afraid. Here it comes out now. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I've sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people in Israel, before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Saul said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him in chains, and he thought, Oh, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword, Agag, has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Here we go. King Saul. His reign started out promising. He looked good and he even had a victory and showed some promise in the previous chapter or two. But here, what do you see? As I read these words, maybe you were reading along with me. Maybe you were, if you're driving, then hopefully, like I do when I listen to podcasts, hopefully you were just listening and not tuning out because this is a, a great story. And there's so much in this story that is showing Saul's heart and character. And we're going to compare it to David here in a moment. What did you see? What did you see in Saul's heart and character? There were so many little dynamics going on. Did you see his this, this strange mix of ego and insecurity? That's how it works, guys. It, people with the biggest egos, which can be me sometimes, 
we are also the people who can be the most insecure. Saul was building a monument to himself, but then you also see that he was afraid of his own soldiers. I think the soldiers saw all that plunder and they were like, hey, we're taking this home. And Saul was like, you know, he gave in. You see ego and insecurity. Then you see him, even at the end of the story, after he admitted that he sinned, he's like, oh, please come honor me. Samuel, prophet, come honor me before the people. I don't want to look bad. What else did you see? Did you notice the the blame shifting and the excuse making throughout this story? He, he, He just, he minimized, he justified, he rationalized, he compromised. He put it on, he threw his own soldiers under the bus. Dude, you're the king. The buck stops with you. He tried to wiggle out of this repeatedly. But Saul just finally says, enough. He says, you know, God delights in obedience. Bottom line, he disobeyed God. Guys, God cares about your obedience. Obedience matters to God. You say, why? God, God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. And our obedience to the scriptures and to God's commands reveals our heart and where we're putting our faith. God cares about obedience. And, you know, do you see yourself in Saul? Man, I do. What kind of character do you have? I I see. I, I can be a blame shifter, an excuse maker. I can be so egotistical, so insecure. I can justify, rationalize my disobedience. But maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start making changes. See, I think Saul could have changed. I, I believe, you know, his first, you know, he blew it back in chapter 13. I think he could have changed because, because David did. But I think there was heart disease and a heart disease caught up with him. You know, you can change. If you see yourself in Saul, you can change, but you better do it quick. Let's go to chapter 16. Let's look at young David. 1 Samuel 16, let's let's compare and contrast, like an English class, compare and contrast class. Let me show you David. Man, I'm so happy to to get to David here. I'm named after this guy. Man, he's a hero in the Bible, but but he's he's an interesting hero. He has a lot of ups and downs. Here we go. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? since I've rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, "Uh, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Time out. All right. (laughs) So so now Saul has become so uh, protective and insecure about his throne, his leadership, that if he hears that the prophet is going to anoint someone else in his place, he says he's going to kill the prophet. Whoa. Wow. He's, he's, he's getting the heart disease, man. It's getting worse. 
But the Lord said, okay, we'll take a heifer with you and say that I've come to town to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one that I indicate. So Samuel sets off. He goes to this guy Jesse's house in the town of Bethlehem. He invites Jesse and his sons to uh, to a, sacri- a sacrifice and a, and a meal, and, and they show up. And when they arrived, verse 6, Samuel, the prophet, saw Eliab, that's Jesse's oldest son, and he thought, oh, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. I don't know what it was about Eliab, but... Uh, He's a good-looking dude. He, maybe he was tall like Saul was. I always love this stuff about the guys being tall and good-looking because not not working out because I was always the short kid. I was like, yeah, David, he's short like me. <clears throat> um, but verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, y'all, this is a key verse. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Hmm. I don't know if this is an indictment against Eliab or more just like, hey, there was something good that God saw in David's heart. I'll say this. We're going to meet Eliab again, and you are going to see some things in his heart that are not so good. Skip down to verse 10. Um, so, So Jesse keeps bringing sons out. Apparently, he's got seven sons. He brings the first, the eldest, six sons out. And God keeps saying, no, not that one, not that one, not that one. And uh, down in verse, where am I at? Verse uh, 10. Samuel asked Jesse, uh, are these all the sons you have? Do you got any more boys? Will you show me six sons? God's rejected all of them. Jesse says, "Mm, let me think. Oh, yeah, there's still the youngest. I almost forgot, Jesse answered. Um, But, oh, he's out tending the sheep. Hmm. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Okay, so he sent for, for him and had him brought in. And here comes David. And um, God says, rise, anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel anoints him in the presence of his brothers and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. From that day on came upon him powerfully. David enters the scene and we're told right away that his brothers were rejected and again, we're told that it's heart that God's looking for in this next king. We went for the tall, good-looking guy, but now we're in. By the way, it does say David was a was a handsome kid, but apparently he wasn't tall. But but he had heart. Heart. God says, "I'm not making that mistake again. Where I'm going for the guy with heart. It's about heart with God, guys. Let me say this loud and clear: Our world loves what's shiny." And what looks good. We love it in church. The preachers in sneakers, you know, just, just looking. We like our preachers to look good, to dress right, to be cool, to tell cool, funny jokes, to be very Instagrammable. You know, I mean, we, we love our jobs, you know, who's talented. We love our athletes, you know, to be our singers, who's flashy, who's, 
Who's got it? Who's got the X factor? But let me tell you, none of that matters ultimately with God. The X factor with God is heart. And you, my dear listener, you can have a good heart. This is what's so heartening <laughs> about this teaching. I, you, you may, there may be certain talents and gifts that you will never bring to the table. Certain things in your appearance that you will never bring. You can never compete. You never bring that into the body of Christ. It's, it's not you, but you can have a good heart. Anyone can. I gravitated toward this so much as a young Christian, as a new Christian, as a teenager, a young man in the church. I I thought, man, I, okay, I can do this. I can, I can, by God helping me, I can have a good heart. And I thought, you know, what if I could be the person on earth that like has the best heart? There was probably some pride even in that. I thought, what you know, what if I could be like the closest person in the world to God? <laughs> probably my heart was a little off in that, but hopefully God saluted the effort, uh, saluted the, the thought. <laughs> but what was it? What was it about David's heart? I'm going to share three things that Charles Swindoll talks about in his great book on David. It was just called David, a man of passion and destiny. Charles Swindoll. Check it out. Love this book. Came out almost 25 years ago. I read this book for the first time over 20 years ago now. Number one, what do you notice in this story about David? Humility. Where was David? He wasn't at the dinner. He didn't even get invited when the prophet came to town. He was forgotten about. He was out doing what? Serving. Tending the sheep. Unnoticed and forgotten. I'm guessing his dad had said, hey, someone's got to go. Someone's on sheep duty today. Someone doesn't get to come to the dinner. David, you're a nobody. You're the youngest son. He was willing to follow orders from his father. Maybe I'm being too harsh on Jesse, by the way. I don't know, but he wasn't pushing himself forward. He um, he was out serving. God sees our humble service even when no one else does. In fact, wasn't it Jesus who said, I am among you as one who what? Serves. Humility. A servant leader. That's who God was looking for. So, listener, who can you serve? Who can we serve? Who can I serve? I'm a minister, but I serve the church. How can you serve in the church? Who can you serve in your community? Man, guys, when there's a need to serve in the church or in the community, there should just be like throngs of people. Just, just, we should, I, I, as a preacher, I should have to turn people away when there's like a need announced in the church because so many are so eager to serve. But there's more about David's heart. Listen to this. 
Yes, there was humility, but there's more. Listen, Psalm 78, verse 71 and 72, it says this about his heart. It says, God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. See, the second David had humility, but the second thing he had was integrity. Integrity. See, integrity is who you are when no one is looking. David spent years in humble service, unnoticed, out there in the fields. And what did he do out there? Did he slack off? No. Let me tell you what he did. He, one, it says he shepherded the sheep with integrity of heart, just as he would someday shepherd God's people. See, he was learning. He was, he was Daniel's son out there, waxing on, waxing off, painting the fence. He didn't know. Daniel didn't know that Mr. Miyagi was teaching him how to fight. David didn't know he was learning how to shepherd God's people. And it says he developed what? Skillful hands. With skillful hands, he led them. You know, we learn uh, in the next chapter, we're going to learn in our next podcast, in chapter 17, we'll learn that while he was out there with those sheep, he wasn't just sort of, you know, looking at the flowers. He was literally killing lions and bears that were attacking the flock. He was learning to fight, learning to sling stones with deadly pinpoint accuracy, which is going to come quite in quite handy next chapter, by the way when something even larger than a lion or bear is going to show up. See, he could have abandoned those sheep, but he had the integrity to stick it out, to defend them, to shepherd them, to protect them. He could have been lazy out there, but he had the integrity to develop his skills with his the tools of his trade, his sling, his stone, and whatever else. You know, get good at what you do, church. Do it well with integrity of heart. Whatever is set before you, say, I hate my job. I don't know if David liked being a shepherd, but whatever you do, the Bible says, do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. You know, Swindoll in his book, he makes an awesome point about how the way God trained David for his future job of being a king. He says, you know, God... God's training method, the way God develops his chosen instruments is through solitude, obscurity, monotony, and reality. Because that's where integrity is built. In solitude, obscurity, monotony, and reality. See, in solitude, when no one sees what you're doing, you feel like, man, what am I doing? I can feel that way. I'm doing this podcast. I'm like, I don't know if anyone's listening. I don't know if I have any listeners, but I'm going to try to be the best preacher I can be here and share what's on my heart to share with y'all and hope someone's listening and hits share or subscribe. But even if not, solitude is what you do when no one sees, when no one's listening, but God is. Obscurity, well, that's what you do when, hey, no one cares. (laughs) You're just obscure. Not only does no one see, but hey, no one cares. But man, no one cares about what I do. I'm obscure. Fine. That's where God trains you. Monotony. 
Well, that's that's what you're doing when maybe you don't even care. I'm just getting up again. Go take care of these stinking, smelly sheep. Ble- these bleating sheep, you know, like like monotony. I'm just going to the same job. I'm just doing the same thing. I'm changing diapers for my baby. I'm just going to work. I'm setting up chairs. I'm an usher at church. I'm... Maybe you're tempted to stop caring because it's so monotonous. But then there's reality. See, God, God trains you in reality too. The daily cares of real life, the real responsibilities of life, paying the bills, getting up, going to bed, turning off the computer, not looking at that junk late at night, turning off, going to bed, being disciplined. David was out there killing lions and bears. See, he wasn't just... I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road. He wasn't just out there meditating like in a monastery. He was getting down in the trenches of real life, solving real problems, taking care of those sheep. When you're taking care of the real problems of your daily life, paying off your debts, that's reality. This is where God's training you and developing your integrity. But there's still one more thing. There's still one last thing, and it's the most important thing about David and his heart that we've got to comment on today. And and I hope people haven't stopped listening to the podcast at this point because this is the most important thing. It was his spirituality. Yes, he had humility, he had integrity, but he had spirituality. He was a spiritual man. A man, quote, after God's own heart. I love what... Chuck Swindoll has to say about this. The Lord has sought out a man after God's own heart. David was a spiritual man. What does it mean to be a person? I'm reading from Swindoll here. What does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? Seems to me it means that you are a person whose life is in harmony with the Lord. What is important to him is important to you. What burdens him burdens you. When he says, go to the right, you go to the right. When he says, stop that in your life, you stop it. When he says, this is wrong, I want you to change. You come to terms with it because you have a heart for God. That's bottom line, biblical Christianity. And I would would add, that's just biblical spirituality. Continuing, when you're deeply spiritual, you have a heart that is sensitive to the things of God. A parallel verse in 2 Chronicles confirms this. Chapter 16, verse 9 of 2 Chronicles says, I'm reading from Swindoll, quoting from the Bible, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Swindoll says, what's God looking for? Here it is. He's looking for men and women whose hearts are completely his completely. That means there are no locked closets. Nothing has been swept under the rugs. That means that when you do wrong, you admit it and immediately come to terms with it. You're grieved over wrong. We're going to see that in David's life, by the way, over and over. You're concerned about those things that displease him. You long to please him in your actions. You care about the motivations behind your actions. That's true spirituality. And that's the first quality that David had. Are you, are you a spiritual man or woman? 
See, God can tell when someone's faking it. I think Saul was faking it. He got exposed. God's looking for people who are deeply authentic in their walk with him, truly spiritual. I'm so thankful for my father, my dad, who just taught me this, like pushed this message into me as a young man. I remember learning this lesson from him. As a, I remember, um, encouraged by my dad, I remember packing my Bible and some snacks in a backpack and disappearing on my mountain bike into the forest for the afternoon on Saturdays from time to time. Me and God, I'd be out in the backwoods miles from, from town, just out there in the woods, far from people, but close to God. Those were like the best times as a teenager. I'm so thankful my dad taught me to do that. Then I remember going off to the University of Georgia and um, six hours from home, I graduated in high school in North Carolina. And I remember my parents dropping me off on campus and a tearful goodbye to my parents. And, and I remember my mom saying, you know, I, I, I wish, I know I can't, I can't come with you. You've got to do this on your own. You've got to grow up. But, but she said, but it brings me comfort. I know that God is coming down here with you to Athens, Georgia. And I remember her saying that. I remember what my dad taught me in high school. So on Monday afternoons, after my classes, that 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 freshman year, that first semester, I would, I would pack my backpack with my Bible and maybe a few snacks, and I would go out, take the bus, the campus bus, over to this lake, Lake Herrick, out there on the edge of campus. And once again, I would disappear into the woods and I would walk the trails of those woods, and sometimes I would pass out and take a nap on, on the bench because I was so tired from my, my college classes. And I was just me and God on Monday afternoons. And, and that was my time. Like God was teaching me out there with the sheep when no one noticed, praying, journaling, reading the Bible, trying to learn, trying to learn how to be a spiritual man. I think where spirituality and heart for God, our, our best scene is, is in worship. And, and we meet David again in, in chapter 16. I'm not going to read it, but Saul is, King Saul is being tormented by an evil spirit. And they call, they say, we need to find someone who can play music to calm your troubled soul and mind. And lo and behold, they bring in this shepherd boy, David. Apparently, David had become skilled in more than just a slingshot while out there with those sheep. He learned to play music and play it well. And they brought him into the king's service and he would play music for the king and it would comfort him. And incidentally, not coincidentally, David wrote the Psalms. I think he started writing those Psalms. He wrote many, if not most, of the Psalms in the Bible. I think he started writing those Psalms as a kid out there with those sheep. Those were his prayer songs to his God. The longest book in your Bible. This, in fact, the central book of your Bible. I believe the most quoted book in the New Testament. Psalms. The Psalms of David. He became Israel's singer of songs. 
He was first and foremost. Yes, he was a king. He was a warrior. He was so many things. But he was first and foremost, listen, please listen, a worshiper of God. He adored God. He walked with God. He developed a soft heart for God and a rock-solid faith in God. He prayed prayers like this. Psalm 62, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. He was often being attacked, he says, but but my soul finds rest in God alone. My hope comes from him. Psalm 63, he goes on, he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My, Your love is better than life. I love that. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. What do you, what do you think of through the watches of the night? <laughs> what, what occupies your heart, your thoughts, your dreams, your concerns and worries, your lusts, as you lie there late at night. For David, God, (laughs) saturate your heart in the Psalms. If you want to be a man like this, or a woman like this, a spiritual man or woman after God's own heart, learn to worship, learn to adore God, the lost art of adoring God. It's not just meant to be done on Sunday when a band is cranked up to 11. Worship God on your own time, on your own knees, in your own closet, in your own forest, your own walks. Adore God. See Him everywhere. Learn to find Him all around in nature the way David did in the Psalms. The way right now it's springtime. I see God everywhere. I'm looking out my window right now. I see God everywhere. He's bursting out everywhere. Are you missing it? Are you so busy in life? so busy watching Netflix that you're not watching for God working in your life. What I see here in this story, even about Saul, is that music has an incredible power to help our troubled hearts. So make sure that you're availing yourself of the power of music in your walk with God. Most mornings as I drive my kids to school, I I put on something that will set my heart musically on God. Listeners, church, You can be a man or woman after God's own heart. You, you, you say, I've messed up so much. Oh, you're going to see David mess up so much. But he held on to his humility, his integrity, and his spirituality. Was he a sinner? Oh, yes. David was that too. And so are you and I. We're in good company here. But a heart, nonetheless, he had a heart 
that was soft. And so can we, a heart that is soft to our sin and always seeking after our great and awesome God. Don't miss the next episode. We're going to see David's heart. We're going to turn it up to 11. We're going to see it on full blast. What a heart for God looks like in action. See you next time. the Lord today, for He is all my hope and stay. A God is good, His name is great, hallelujah.